0: Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is from our series, Amos, Let Justice Roll. Everyone knows that our world is not the way it should be. And yet as Christians, we know that God executes justice and will restore the world to the perfection he created it in. We'll be exploring how it is that God is just and justifies the one who has faith in Jesus.
1: My name is Ray Weidman. I've been attending here for a couple of years, and I'm Claire our Deacon team. Uh, Please turn your Bibles to Amos 9, page 818, in the Pew Bible. We will read verses 11 through 15. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one in the front of your pew, and that's our gift to you if you don't have one. Verse eleven: In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David; I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and re- rebuild it as in the days of old, so that you may possess the remnants of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is a declaration of the Lord; He will do this. Look, the days are coming. This is Lord's declaration when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who tends the grapes, the soar of seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of peoples of Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord, your God, has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ray.
0: Look at you. Okay, well, I quit, okay? It is Memorial Day weekend. I'm ready for hamburgers and hot dogs, not your frowns and unhappy faces. I'm gonna be honest, okay? Um, listen, I, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I, I'm also glad we're 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 getting to wrap up Amos today. Everybody, say Amos. Uh, if you have not been with us the last couple weeks, uh, then. And probably, I'd, I'd probably five weeks, six weeks, we've been in this series. Um, then you've missed a real party. I know y'all are just thinking about getting out of here. Speaking of which, um, in chapter eight of Amos, that is the. <laughs> In chapter 8 of Amos, which we're not going to get to cover, that is Amos' uh, vision. It's this vision of a fruit basket, and he, uh, God accuses the, the pe- his people of being in church but thinking about other things. <laughs> You're guilty. <laughs> That's not as funny as I thought it was going to be. Don't do that again. Okay. Um, But I want to get us caught up. So uh, let me, can I give you a sneak peek? Anybody like looking behind the curtain? Okay. Yes. Story. When I was a kid, we grew up in a single wide trailer out in Charles City County. Do you know where Charles City is? Okay. So this is where we grew up. And my parents uh, bought us gifts, and we would find them each year. It was our goal to find all the hidden stockpile of gifts for Christmas. Well, one year, this was very confusing. I don't know if they were hiding them somewhere else, or this is just where they ended up. Well, we found them, and we found them in my parents' bathroom in the shower stall. The curtain was pulled. And so two thoughts went through my mind. How have my parents been taking showers? (laughs) What is going on? And then the other thought was, I found all my presents. Well, my parents found out about that and got so upset. But this is a behind-the-curtain moment that you don't have to get in trouble for. So... uh, Over the summer, we're going to be preaching on um, three sermon series, and the first one is going to start next week, and we're going to be preaching a sermon series on worship. What worship is? How do we prepare for worship? What is worship all about? Why do we worship? And it will be for three weeks, um, centered around uh, June 5th, 12th, and 19th. Now, I'm going out of town uh, to the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting uh, in Anaheim, California. I've never been to California. A little nervous about it. Yeah, I am. I'm nervous. I just feel like I'm not going to fit in, you know? (laughs) Have you ever felt like that family member that doesn't fit in at the reunions? That's how I feel like it's going to be in LA. I'm just going to be like, hey guys, (laughs) I'm here. Um, I'm too friendly for California, I feel like. I, I, I feel like I'm too friendly for Virginia. Like, I get mad at you. If you see me and you don't wave when, I, when we pass each other, we got issues. Um, and I feel like this just going to be that on repeat in California. But so Bill, uh, Elder Bill, is going to preach on the 5th. Um, uh, Ian is going to preach on the 12th. And Corey is going to preach on the 19th. Um, be centered around my trip because I'm not going to have any time um, over the course of those three weeks. Speaking of Corey, uh, Corey and Emily, Emily plays piano, and as you've noticed, the last nine months, Emily has grown. You know what that means? Alyssa, next week. That's the lesson. I'm giving it to you. No, she is pregnant and they had the baby. Yeah. And um, little Quincy, is that right? It's so a little baby girl. They are both healthy. They're both doing well. They are home. Uh, but would you join me in praying for them? Those first weeks are tough. And so uh, Quincy Maven is going to grace us with her presence once she is uh, had some time to kind of get used to the world outside of the womb. Um, quite an adjustment. So uh, be praying for Corey and Emily. Uh, but uh, Corey's going to preach on the 19th, and it's just going to be a great worship series. We're going to walk through the book of James over the summer. It's going to be really cool. And then lastly, in August, we're going to preach about speaking in tongues. No one's excited about that. You know, you're excited about that. No, we're, we're going to cover all through August uh, this series called Empowered. And we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, and with the goal of all of you have been gifted by God. Eye contact. You have been gifted by God. And He has wired you specifically for a purpose. And so we're going to talk about how you're gifted, um, how, how we figure that out. Amen. So let's recap very quickly. Amos, Amos, what was okay? I'm going to give a quiz. You ready? Memorial Day weekend engagement. You ready? What did Amos do for a living? Good job. Good job. No, that was very good. He was a farmer. He was he was a kind of a a rancher. Uh, yeah, fig trees, and so. Here's a guy who comes off the farm to become a prophet. Okay, God calls Amos and he travels to Bethel where he is going to proclaim. This is why the last few weeks have been so fun. Repentance and judgment. And I know you guys have enjoyed it. I know you guys have enjoyed it so much. You've enjoyed it so much that you've come to me and told me how much You appreciate repentance and judgment being preached for so many weeks in a row. Um, And this is one thing I love about the Lord. In today's culture, uh, we live in a culture that would say, You're perfect just the way you are. You know, You'll find all goodness and, and greatness right down deep in here. And what that causes in me is a conflict because I know what's in here. And you know what's in here. Nobody else sees it, but you know what's in here. And so the fact that God tells us the truth about ourselves is huge. I never, I never would want to be a part of, of something that, that where someone was perpetually lying to me about who I am. And what my motivations are. God will speak the truth to us. And when he does, he calls us to repentance. He calls us to turn. And that's good news. Um, so we, Amos calls people to repentance and judgment for several weeks. The first week, um, we talked about what is justice, that God is the only one with the authority to set the ethical standards in the world. We just talked about this. Um, what's right and what's wrong isn't in here. Okay? Um, Your feelings don't determine what's right and what's wrong because your feelings change by the week, by the moment, and so does your compass for what's right and what's wrong. And we found out the very first week that his word, this book right here, is our compass. It is... God revealed in text okay this is my compass not my own heart not my own heart he is what tells me what's right and what's wrong there's no news station there is no friend circle there's no organization on this earth that will determine what's right and wrong his word is always right and one of the reasons we said that is because he never changes and you always change I've changed since I got married. Um, I think I'm a better husband. I've definitely changed in size. (laughs) Things hurt different. Okay, true story. My wrist just started hurting yesterday. I don't know why. It just started. I just was walking. I was just walking. And, And my wrist just started hurting. I'm like, what's going on with my body? Um... So we all change. God never changes, which is why um, it's good that he is what's right and what's wrong. He, 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 he determines that. And then week number two, we talked about justice and generosity. Amos starts roaring um, uh, for the Lord saying, hey, listen, you've rejected God. Uh, he gave this picture. Amos pictured a man um, who was committing um, uh, grievous uh, immorality um, with temple women and his son visited the same day before or whatever, uh, keeping um, warm with garments extorted from the poor, toasting his success with wine, but with money he dishonestly gained. These were church people. Church people were doing one thing on Sunday, proclaiming, oh, look, look at us, look at how how godly we are, and then throughout the week, their life did not match up. Play back your last seven days. You ready? Play back. If you were watching Netflix, you would. Go ahead and hit the remote, rewind seven days, and then play it out quickly in your mind and say, Was I reflecting God's goodness and His justice in my life? in my interactions with my family and my friends. All of a sudden, you're a lot less perfect than you thought you were. And then he ended, at the end of two, he says, look, no one's gonna escape judgment. The very next week, see how happy these sermons are? You see how happy Amos is? Um, Amos comes back in uh, chapter five and he says, God despises your type of religion not only are you one way on Sunday and a different way the rest of the week but the the reason you do that is because you're only concerned about religion for the looks of it you want to look like a good person and frankly you want to come on Sundays and worship me so you feel like a good person so you can scoot in the back gate of heaven that's not how it works And so Amos calls them out on all these things. He tells them the truth, asks them to examine their lives. We found that there is worship that God rejects. In fact, this is in the Bible where it says he can't even stomach that type of worship. That we would come in here after acting a fool all week long. And with the same hands, that we would abuse others. And with the same mouth, we would curse others. That we would come in with those same hands and that same mouth and try to praise him. He rejects that type of worship. That's why reconciliation and the Christian life should be full of repentance. That's why he's calling them to repentance. Repentance is not a bad thing. Growing up in the holiness church... In the charismatic world where people dance around and we wave flags and we speak in tongues and we do all kinds of cool stuff. Really interesting service. Like I want to take you guys to some of the churches I grew up in because I feel like you'd be like, whoa. Um, Growing up in that holiness environment, you would not respond to the altar sometimes because you were afraid of what other people might think. Repentance was frowned upon. It was ugly. When repentance, in biblical terms, what you're repenting for absolutely is ugly. But repentance should be uh, embraced. We have to embrace repentance. It's a good thing. I want you, each week, running to the altar, saying, God, I am not enough, and you are. This is what Amos is calling them to. Stop pretending. Stop acting like you're enough. And come to me and repent. Lean on me. When you're not strong. Mm. Had to throw that in there because some of you were feeling convicted. I didn't want you to feel too sad. And at the same time, I do. What else? Oh, and then last week, last, well, last week we had the Q&A. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, that was good, yeah. <laughs> commit, okay, you're gonna, you gotta commit to that. We had, Mary Lois was the only one excited about the Q&A, obviously. <laughs> no, it's too late, it's too late, don't, it's too late. Give it up. <laughs> um, the week before that, uh, we saw, so Amos is preaching, he's giving all these messages, and I, boy, I gotta move, and... um And then the last part of Amos, starting in chapter 7, he has five visions. Five visions. Um, And we covered the first three. um, One being locusts, the second one being fire, and then the third one, if you guys remember, we we talked about the plumb line, the vision of the plumb line. You remember how week one we said God is the only one with the ability to set the ethical standards for the world? He says, Amos, what is this? And he drops this plumb line. Now, a plumb line is a piece of string with a weight at the bottom, okay, to tell you if a wall is straight or crooked, okay? So metaphorically speaking, he says, I'm going to drop a plumb line amongst my people, In chapter 7, I'm going to drop it amongst my people. And guess what? If you have your own plumb line, this is what your own plumb line might look like. Your plumb line has no weight. The whole point of the plumb line is that it's got a weight at the bottom, right? Gravity pulls it. It straightens the line, gives you a perfectly straight line so you can see if the wall is perfectly straight. Many of us want others to match up to our plumb line. So we have the Bible and then we say, okay, will the Bible sure? Pastor sure. Here's my plumb line. I think people should meet these expectations as well. The problem is your plumb line has no weight. Did you Here's what a plumb line with no weight looks like. It's crooked. Cuz you're crooked. Maybe I need to be more clear. He says, I'm going to drop a plumb line amongst my people. And guess what? Everyone ends up being guilty on that. You can't try to match up to your neighbor. It's not about matching up to um, maybe that good group of folks that you say, oh, this is a really good group of people. If you're comparing your righteousness and holiness to that of other flicted, and I said afflicted sinners, it's the wrong plumb line. When I compare myself to the law of God and his expectations and his perfectness and his holiness, what it reveals is that I fall short And where I fall short, what Amos calls us to is repent, repent, turn, turn. If if your life isn't marked with repentance, I don't know if you're a Christian. Let me say that again. And look, all of a sudden, y'all are shocked. Look at your faces. You're shocked. If your life is void of repentance... I would question whether you're a Christian or not. Let me move on because I got to finish the book today. Eight, we talked about the fourth vision, uh, which was a basket of ripe fruit, basket of ripe fruit. Um, what do you know about ripe fruit? There's a small window, right? Especially for some. Some, some there's a, a little bit longer. Like my wife eats the weird, but like she uses weird, and some of y'all eat weird bananas. Look, if there's a bunch of black stuff on that banana, it's over. We're not eating it. You peel that joker back and it's got some spots in there that's soft. No, we're not eating it. Some of y'all eat them things. Now, some of you make banana pudding with them things. Now, that's good praise God. I'm down with the banana pudding. But he basically looks at this basket of fruit and he says, hey, you, you come to church and all you're thinking is about your, your life outside of me and that life outside of me is sinful and evil. But my people Israel, are like a basket of ripe fruit that are about to be tossed out. Like it's good right now but that window is very short and I'm about to throw them out. Um, Y'all know I'm bivocational. Right? So I have two jobs. I'm a pastor here and then I am also uh, a landscaper so I cut grass and other things. People think that all we do is cut grass but we mulch and prune We do lots of different things. One of the things we do, it's called, and and let's see, I'm sure there's some master gardeners in here, right? I love running into master gardeners, especially working for them because they just stand and stare at you the whole time and critique everything you do. There's something called a rejuvenation pruning. Have you ever heard of a rejuvenation pruning? All right, let me, let me describe the picture. You have a bush. This bush has become too big or too old or uh, it's starting to die in spots, right? It's that bush that you look at and you don't know what to do with anymore. Maybe it's been in its spot too long. And, and typically when I show up to these houses and they're like, look at this bush, it's ugly. It's dying in spots. It's 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 weird shaped. I don't know what to do with this bush. Do you have any of those bushes in your yard? Raise your hand if you got. All right, call me this week. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Let me get you on the calendar. Okay. Most of the time, your own there, you have two options with a bush like that. You know what they are? Number 1 remove it start over go get another pr- go get something brand new and we'll put it in its place but for those who have an attachment to the shrub because some of you have attachments to some shrubs your option at that point is to do a rejuvenation pruning and this is what a rejuvenation pruning is it is cutting it off at the base Effectively, what some of you would say is killing it. But you cut it off at the base and you start over. You see what comes back from the roots. And after nine and a half chapters, eight and a half chapters, yeah, nine and a half, eight and a half, I don't know. This whole book takes a shift. And so let's look at this together. Chapter 9, I want you to, if you, don't, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, use your phone or the uh, Pew Bible in front of you. It's 817, 818 in your Bibles. <clears throat> he sees the fifth vision. So we talked about five visions, and this is going to move quickly, so buckle up. I saw in the very first verse, we're going to cover one through four first here. Final vision, um, verse one. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar and he said, strike the capitals of the pillars so that the thresholds shake, knock them down on the heads of all the people. Then I will kill the rest of them with the sword. None of those who flee will get away. None of the fugitives will escape. If they dig down to Sheol, from there my hand will take them. If they climb up to the heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide on the top of Mount Carmel, from there I will track them down and seize them. If they conceal themselves from my sight on the sea floor, the sea serpent, I will send to bite them. And if, verse 4, and if they are driven by their enemies into captivity, from there I will command the sword to kill them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. Now, nine is broken up. This last vision is broken up into a couple different parts. And this very first part is uh, Amos sees this vision and he sees God standing next to the altar. Now, what altar? Where is he making these prophecies from? Bethel. Bethel. He is making these prophecies from Bethel at the temple of one of the false gods they have allowed to come in to the nation uh, of God's people. So here are God's people. They've allowed these nations to influence them, and now they've got this temple to these other gods. And so he envisions the one true God standing at the doors of the temple. And he says, I saw the Lord standing at the altar strike the capitals of the pillars, so that the thresholds shake. Now, construction-wise, the threshold of one of these facilities would be considered the strongest point of the building, the threshold. <clears throat> what Amos is saying here is that the, he's pointing to God's strength. You have built these things to these gods that you, you worship and you think are so big and so strong. And God is stronger than any God that you can set up for. The doorposts, the, did you see that? It said, strike the capitals of the pillars. Knock them down on the heads of all the people. He's saying this is going to be complete destruction. And Amos is specifically referring to when the Assyrians will come in. But no matter what judgment there is, when God judges, he judges completely and with strength. He says something in in four that caught my eye, particularly this time through Amos, which is, I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. Doesn't this sound so odd that he is looking at his people and he's saying, I'm not looking at you for good, I'm looking at you for harm. This is the the type of thing that oftentimes people will point to and say, what kind of God is that? What kind of God is that? It's important to understand Old Covenant language here. Um, In the Old Covenant, uh, the Israelites, God's chosen people, they would have understand this Old Covenant of blessings and cursings. You see, before Christ... It was based on your obedience. How well can you obey? And of course, we know the law was created to expose that we can't even obey the law. And so uh, if you were in obedience to God, there was blessing attached to obedience. But if you were in an active disobedient state to the Lord, cursing was upon you. And so... This would not have been a, fo- this may feel weird to you. This would not have felt weird to the Israelites hearing it. This would not have been weird to them because they would have understood this. Amos is saying, we, and has said now for eight chapters, we have been disobedient. And with disobedience comes judgment. That concept is still true today. The wages of sin is death. Destruction, complete destruction. All, and this is is what's amazing. If we fast forward, and I'm kind of fast forwarding to my close, but if you go to Romans 8.31, if you go to Romans 8.31, what you'll find is that if God is for us, who can be against us, right? It's, that's a different concept than what we're reading right here. And you know why? Because of Jesus Christ. All of the harm we deserve was completely poured out on Jesus Christ. So all of that harm that we're talking about here was taken on Christ on the cross for you. And then, wow, he goes into this. If you dig down to Sheol, you know where Sheol is? It's right at the corner of Hull. And um, I'm kidding. Sheol is a Hebrew reference to under the earth, like the center of the earth. Abraham went to Sheol. Okay, there's a Sheol place down in the earth or whether you go to heaven Or whether you go to the top of Mount Carmel. It was a mountain. Carmel was a mountain. Or you go to the depths of the sea. God is everywhere. And his judgment will find you wherever you are. You can run, but you can't hide. Many of you think that for some reason God is isolated to these four walls. But he lives in your home and he sees you. He lives in your workplaces and he sees you. He lives in your marriages and he sees you. He lives in your relationships. He is just as much God oversees in a small Chinese village where they're hiding to worship the Lord as he is here. He is everywhere. In fact, if you go to Psalms 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and Sheol, sound familiar? You are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle on at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold me. There is nowhere you can go where the Lord is not already. And that's more than just physical, that's in time. God is actively in yesterday, he is in today, and he is already in tomorrow. There are no limits. To his omnipotence, his all-powerful nature, his omnipresence, he is everywhere at all times. That's good. And let me tell you, that's a comfort. Now, it's a comfort for us in grace. um, But there is coming a day and a time where the Lord will return. And he will rightly judge And there's nowhere you can go to get away from it. I will do a funeral on Wednesday for one of my former students who lost his life to addiction. 24 years old. And at every funeral I do, people are confronted with one that this life is temporal. But also that you, all of us, everyone in this room, everyone online today. You will meet God. This, there is no option. You will meet God. And I'm so thankful today that I know Jesus Christ. I'm so glad he saved me. Because that meeting is going to go much different for those who who have rejected God. All right, let's go back. 5 through 10, um, we see a couple things here. Let's read 5 through 10. The Lord, the God of armies, he touches the earth. It melts and all who dwell in it mourn. All of it rises like the Nile and besides like the Nile of Egypt. He builds his upper chambers in the heavens. He lays the foundation of his vault on the earth. He summons the waters of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Verse 7, Israelites, are you not like the Cushites to me? This is the Lord's declaration. Didn't I bring Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Caftor, and the uh, Arameans from Ker? Look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. However, thank God for a however, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. For I am about to give the command and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes a sieve. But not a pebble will fall to the ground. All the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake or confront us will die by the sword. Uh, A couple things here. Prophets, if you read the prophets, major or minor, um, all of them have some similarities. One of those similarities is they serve as a reminder of who God is. Most of their prophecies will result in a reminder that look at God. Turn your attention to God. Look how big he is. Look how powerful he is. And that's what this section, 5 through 10, points to. It points to look at God. And we should do based on who he is. I think many of our lives, and I think this scripture would point to it, many of our lives reflect how much God we look at. What do you mean by that? I mean, the more you see of God, the more your life has to alter, the more your life has to change. We do based on who God is. This is, um, uh, whether you read Obadiah, you can continue through the prophets, they point to who God is, and all through five, six, We see, look at God. He is everywhere at all times. He's powerful. He's big. Uh, The Lord is his name. Look at him. Look at him. What's your devotional life like? How much time do you spend in prayer? Look, I'm, I'm not aiming for conviction here, so if you're feeling convicted, just Talk to the Holy Spirit for a second. If you're not turning your attention to God, don't be shocked when your life doesn't mimic it. People come to me all the time and say, Carl, I just wish my life, I wish I was more tuned in to being God-like. I I want to be a, a, a man or a woman of justice. I want my life to look this way, but you won't turn your eyes to him. You won't turn your attention to him. Your attention is squarely on yourself. Stop being confused why you don't look godly when you don't hang out with the Lord. One of the things I loved about the story of Moses going up to get the Ten Commandments is the Bible says his countenance changed. He came back down and people knew he had been with the Lord. What's your life say you've been around? Amos is pointing their attention to the Lord. When we remember him, we act in a certain way. And then he goes into the sifting, okay? So he paints this picture of what judgment's going to look like. And he says, hey, I'm going to drop you and I'm going to sift you among the nations. Um, judgment, sifting, sifting sanctification, whatever we want to call it, it's all a part of the redemption process. He turns it towards the end here. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. Many of us look at our lives and we go through maybe seasons of more repentance than others. We feel um, maybe God's judgment more than others. Maybe we feel... um, I don't know, despised, rejected. I'm, I'm not sure what all adjectives to attach to it. Um, but I, I, I feel like I need to say, if you're, if you're being sifted, it's not a bad thing. When life gets hard and God is working something out, one of the comforts we have, he says it right here, but not a pebble will fall to the ground. God is in the sifting process. Some of you feel it. Some of you feel it more than others today. God is after something in the shifting. He's after something in the judgment. He's after something in sanctification as we grow towards Christ. And and you stop being you you and you, you start being conformed to his image. It is a painful process. And all Amos has said is, hey, this is going to be terrible. This is going to hurt. But God has not forgotten his promise. He is after something. Many people look at these sifting seasons and these seasons where he is getting all the the junk out. He's purifying, he's cleaning. And we say, oh, what a mean God. No, he is after something. He's doing something. And we cannot look at these seasons in any other way. It is a part of his redemption. And then we look at 11 through 15, and then we're going to close. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David, I will repair its gaps restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will, will, (laughs) he will do this. Verse 13, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when the plowman will overtake the reaper. And the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards, drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. If you underline in your Bible, if you highlight, I want you to underline that very last line. Number one, he says he's going to restore his people. He's going to restore his people. This this thing takes like a 90. Have you ever... I watched Top Gun on Friday night. I watched Top Gun and Look, if you have not seen it, it is clean. There's not a bunch of like raunchy stuff in it. I would take kids to see it. It's amazing. I can't believe it came out of Hollywood. It's very good. But there were moments in the movie where you thought things were going to end in disaster. And it just immediately took a turn. That is the book of Amos. The whole book is, is judgment, judgment, judgment. And then all of a sudden in 11... And really, I guess starting up a little north of that in eight, he says, but listen, I have not forgotten that you're my people. I have not forgotten my promise to you. And he says, I'm going to restore my people. This is a place of position. He's going to change our position from one of being cursed to one of being blessed, and, and don't read that as like, oh, here comes the dollars and cents. But read it as, I will go from death to life. We read this book with the lens of the cross, right? We read it with the lens of the New Testament. And what we see him fulfill, not only is he going to make things right with Israel and restore them, he is after restoring all his people, Number two, he's going to repair. Number three, he's going to return them. And then he's going to replant them. And look at how all this is rooted. I I was going to spend more time there, but I think what I need you to understand is this right here. That very last line, I want you to look at it. I want you to read the words The Lord, your God, has spoken. Notice Lord is capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He is saying the sovereign, all in control God. All of these promises for judgment and restoration are rooted in God. And who he is, that he is a God who is just, which means that uh, yes and amen to the good things and the pretty things, right? But also, yes and amen to he sees injustices and he responds. But all of these promises, all of these prophecies are rooted in the Lord, the sovereign Lord, your God, very personal. There wasn't a detachment here. Not only was he, the Lord, standing at Bethel where he was going to oversee the judgment. God was not detached from the judgment. He's also not detached from his people. Hear me today. We don't serve a God that stands back. We we serve a God who's right up in it. He's right next to us in the judgment and in the restoration. He's with us. He has spoken. He has spoken. As I look, like Amos, as I look around the world and I see the brokenness, I see all of the brokenness. I am so thankful today that his promise stands not in my own ability. His promise stands not because of, of me or or my uh, record. <laughs> his, his promises stand because of who he is, because of his faithfulness and that We can have a peace. Why did Jesus come? He came to bring peace. He's the prince of peace. I have never in my 34 years felt like, man, there's some people who need some peace today than I do today. Watching... 19 kids get murdered in a classroom. Watching is all these racially motivated shootings. I look at it and I say, how? How can this be made right? How, how in the world can this all shake out? And our promises that God will restore all things is rooted not in the U.S. government and not whoever's in office. It is not rooted in my ability to, to do anything. It is rooted in God. We have to root our peace, our hope for tomorrow in the Lord our God. It has to be tied there. If he had signed the, 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 the end of the book with any other statement, it would maybe leave some question. But he signed the end of the book. This, the Lord your God has spoken. And so I want to call us to a moment as they sing, as we end in worship that we go to remembering. We go to remembering God, remembering who he is and remembering that he makes all things new. He is able to make all things new. He is the only one who can. And as we navigate the next weeks, days and months of our lives, we can cling to the Lord our God who has spoken. And that's enough. Let's pray together. Father, today, I'm so thankful that we can worship you in spirit and in truth and that we can count on you today. You are good. I, My heart yearns, Father, today for your restoration of your people, that we can run to you because of Christ today, that the cross was sufficient. I'm thankful today that all the harm that we read about today was poured out on your son for us. Help us, bring us to life in that knowledge. Help us to cling to you in these moments. And we'll give you praise for that in Christ's name. Everyone said? Amen. Why don't we stand and worship together?